Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter, and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Woohoo! Series four of Spinning Plates. That's right, I've started with a homemade jingle. Um, super catchy, guys. Should we sing it together? That's right. Series four of spinning plates. Mickey, I can't go on the trampoline right now. No, I'm talking to my podcast listeners. Um, yeah, I'm in the garden with Mickey. It's been raining. The weather's been up and down. We've had some lovely warm weather. Got a bit excited, bought some shorts. Today it rained. Don't forget, it's Britain, folks. Um, I have got such a lovely load of interviews recorded for you to listen to for this, my fourth series of the podcast. Uh, another eclectic, wonderful group of amazing women. Starting off with Melanie C, who I've met a few times along the way. She's always been so lovely and warm and open and chatty lovely company um but she was so nice to chat to for this and hear about her lovely daughter and the relationship they have and talk a bit about sexism in the music industry and what it's like to be a solo artist when you've been in a band and for me to try and get my head around what it must be like to have been in something like the Spice Girls so hard to imagine that level of fame um and success Wow, you know, that's just an extraordinary experience. Uh, so, yeah, we had a lovely chat and I'm very excited to share it with you. It's a great way to start this series. And, yeah, I'm just excited, really. Thank you once again for giving me this opportunity. You know, this podcast is, uh, I'm sure you've heard me bang on about it before, but it really does mean an awful lot. And it's a real treat and a privilege to get to record these conversations and call it work. It's not really work, is it? It's just a nice thing to share. So thank you very much for that. And I hope you've been okay uh, in the interim. I suppose I last spoke to you, what was it, about five weeks ago? So I hope life's treating you well. Let's see what happens with summer holidays and all that. But in the meantime, let's hope the sun shines. It does lift the spirits, doesn't it? Anyway, I'm going to stop waffling on about the weather. What, Mickey? You don't want to eat? Okay, all right. That's that then. Uh, Two-year-old has spoken. I'll see you on this other side. But yeah, thank you to you. Thank you to Melanie. See you in a bit. Yeah, I've got so many things I want to talk to you about, but I think I'll probably start with this sort of here and now. So you released an album last year, which is a fantastic achievement, given especially what a weird year it was. And it went top 10, which I think last year was so tricky for music because so many people were going to familiar things as it was a sort of way of, I suppose, providing a bit of catharsis and escapism from what was going on. But it must have been really exciting for you to have a project in amongst it all. Thank goodness I did. You know, I think at the beginning... I was in Australia, actually, just starting the promo. I had a show over there and COVID, <clears throat> excuse me, COVID was just gathering pace. So, of course, we didn't know what was going to happen. And then the questions were raised. It's like, I've worked so hard on this album. Am I going to release it at this strange time where I might not be able to promote it properly? Is it going to disappear without a trace? So we did question whether holding it back. And my single was about to drop. I think we were 
going into lockdown here in the UK and there were so many wheels in motion. It was like, you know what, it'd be very difficult to change tack now. Mm. So we went with it and I actually do feel really grateful because it was a really quite up-tempo record. It was Mm. electronic, it's dancey, pretty feel good. And I just thought with everything going on, people really reacted to it so beautifully and it kept me dead busy. You know, it kept me focused because I found in the last few months where things have quietened down for me, because I'd be touring now, that I'm twiddling my thumbs and starting to think about everything and now I I can really understand a lot of the things people were going through initially when we went into lockdown. Oh, that's interesting. So you felt you almost had slightly delayed... The, the emotions that people were talking about then you're like oh I, that, I'm getting that now yeah I was kind of I was feeling it in a way but I think because I had focus because I had things to do every day you know mm. I was busy as you are and in a way it was so weird because I was finding I was busier than I would be because you can get to anywhere in the world and there are lots of places and lots of tv shows and radio shows that normally wouldn't accept a video call you know yeah. and right now I was on zoom calls and I'd have these really weird days where I'd start in Australia and then I'd be in Europe in the day and then the US in the evening and it was like it was great and it was exciting and I got lots of things to do but it was also quite exhausting yeah but in a way you think oh, some of that's quite appealing it's quite isn't it? it's better than getting on a plane for hours <laughs> exactly. and jet lag <laughs> exactly and I suppose you have, haven't yet had a chance to do the album live so that's all still to I've had one very small opportunity which was very surreal we did a live stream the I think it was the week we launched the album so it was October time and it gave me an opportunity to rehearse with my musicians and play everything live but of course you know you know if you're gonna film a show you're gonna do it a few shows in when you're comfortable you know it's in your bones but to do a live stream the very first performance of that material and there's nowhere to hide yeah. You know, it was, yeah, it was quite petrifying. It was probably the most stressful gig I've ever done. Oh. And then you've got no audience to feed off. Which so is you're very lo- weird. Yeah, you're looking down the lens and you're talking to people and it just felt really weird. I have to be honest, although I enjoyed performing and, and being able to play with my musicians, it wasn't the most enjoyable performance of my life, you know. No, you need much rather be on stage. Dialogue with the audience. Yeah. That's kind of the, I've always thought of gigs a bit like dates, you know, and you sort of the first sort of like song in you're like you kind of get a bit of a measure of them don't you like this is going to be a really good date I'm definitely going to see you again or like oh you're a bit cold I'm going to try and work my charm on you you know (laughs) and you win them over by the end exactly you know it's funny I you know obviously over the years doing so many different things I've learned lots of different things from different experiences and when I worked in the West End I think that was my biggest learning curve with audiences because I thought there was like there was kinds of audiences. I thought maybe there was like, you, like you say, you get the ones that are a little bit cold, but you warm them up. The ones who are just super gunko. Mm. But every single audience has a different personality. And I think doing eight shows a week, you really begin to understand that. So you, you, you know, like working in the business for so many years, you still have so much to learn. You yeah, know? all the time, definitely. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting. So do you think the West End thing has almost got a slightly... Is it quite similar in that way to any other kind of gig? Or can you, do you not really pick up on the mood of the audience for a little while because of the way that the play is structured? I think it's more to do with, because you've got more time to absorb it. Ah. You know, the show that I was doing, there are moments of stillness Mm. more than you'd have like performing with a band. Um, So yeah, it gives you that opportunity to really, you know, to, to feel what they're feeling. Yeah, that must be really electric, actually. I've never done anything like that. And I think you're totally right when you say that every you, there's such a learning curve that goes on all the time with performance. And actually, I only did one sort of live-streamed gig like you were talking about with the band. Actually, it wasn't even with the band, but I did a gig, uh, like a corporate thing during lockdown where it was just me and I did, I don't know, half an hour, 40-minute set on my own. And I thought, if this had been one of my early gigs, I think this would have made me cry or something. It was just actually fairly traumatic like it was like one of the toughest gigs I've ever done just because there was no feedback well you're not getting anything back are you it's kind of weird but I tell you what I did do which was pretty amazing and was helpful beforehand somebody's come up with this thing where you can do a meet and greet a virtual meet and greet Mm -hmm. so there was lots of people who'd signed up to do this thing and you have a little chat with them and you'd like do this signature on the screen it's very clever and because I'd made this connection with the people who were going to be out there watching Uh the gig it made it a bit more real because otherwise it 
it's just very flat. Yes. You know, it's yeah. very strange. But, you know, amazing that we're able to do it. And who knows what the future holds. But, you know, I do hope and pray that we're back on stage in front of hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of people I'd in no time. I'd ten people right now. <laughs> I would, yeah. But the, like the smaller they are, the more daunting it is, isn't it? That's Just the bigger, bigger, bigger. <laughs> That's true for the moment. Anything bigger than the people in my house, then <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, woo! <laughs> Exciting times. Um, and so I suppose a lot of the last year you've been spending... So your daughter is 12 now, isn't she? Yeah. So she's... At this, I don't know if you have my second boy is 12 and I feel like it's right on the cusp of like the next bit. Are you kind of... Did you get a sense of that as this quite a strange year to have at that age as well? Like quite precious, really. It's like it's quite a nice time to have it in a way. I have been thinking about this a lot, actually. And in the last year, she has changed so much. And I I think for her age group and maybe where she is in her development, I think it's probably most one of the most difficult ages. She started secondary and it feels like she's gone from being a child to this young adult, you know, Mm. it's crazy. She's literally just 12. And, you know, when I look at her, the way she speaks to me, the knowledge that she has, the way she looks, you know, it's what I imagine myself to be like at like 13. Yeah. You know, it feels very, very different. And, and I think it's been hard because it's such a time when your friends become very important, you know, mm. the social aspect of things. And even physically, at the beginning of lockdown, you know, she was still my little girl and I could drag her out on walks every day. Towards the end of lockdown, she's gone a little bit teenage. Mm. So getting her out of bed is actually quite tricky. Yes, I can very much relate to that. My mm. um, 12-year-old son is horrible to me in the mornings, actually. Uh, I don't think he means to me. He's just, he's just very, very cross. I, I think I've become this sort of physical embodiment of early mornings in school rather than just his mum. Mm. I'm like, I'm not actually school. I'm just the person who needs to get you out the door in time for school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's, it's uh, a lot of them. And you're, you know, you're right, this whole bit of secondary... Obviously, it's about education as well, but it's so much about the social side and that next bit of your life and independence. Is she, does she make her own way to school in the morning? Yeah, kind of she does. And it's, in the last few weeks, it's been like wanting to go shopping with her mates and, you know, hanging out at the park with her mates. And, I mean, all mums out there listening will know petrifying you know because you're you're like you're so used to like holding their hand when they cross the road now they're going to be crossing the road with the mates with the phones out you know please look please listen but you know it's those apron strings isn't it and it feels weird having to cut them at 12 yeah well you don't have to it just has to sort of morph get a bit yeah yeah the bungee exactly exactly (laughs) you just have to like add some lengths onto the apron string and and tie it on where they can't see it It's still there. It's just like a mile yeah, long. Yeah, that's what those tracking apps are for. <laughs> exactly. Yes, and it comes in the form of an app. And, uh, in fact, it's called Apron Strings. <laughs> that would actually be really good. That's they a should great do idea. That it's the Apron Strings app. They don't know about it. We know where they are. Fine. <laughs> and it can go up to, like, my mum probably still quite like that for me now. Um, uh, so uh, whenever I've heard you talk about your daughter, you seem to credit your daughter and motherhood as really quite... A, I mean, it's significant for everybody that goes through it, but sort of next level significance. And do you think part of that is because it's a lot of it's been the two of you? Do you feel like you've got that very important bond from that? Yeah, you know, I think I think it, a lot of it is that. Um, we've had a lot of time when it has been just the two of us, but in some ways that can make our relationship really intense, mm. you know. So having, you know, I have a boyfriend now and, you know, and we live together and she has step-siblings. So that's kind of helped with that that side of things. But I think even from the moment, I heard somebody say this yesterday and something I've always said as well is like, as a woman, as soon as you become pregnant, you become a mother. Mm. You know, because obviously, you know, the responsibility begins then because you have to start looking after yourself in ways you might not have done beforehand. Absolutely. You know, and and I think just also the, the big thing for me was it not all being about me. I think being a performer, you know, being in the public eye, often it can be quite selfish and everybody's doing things for you yeah and when you have the responsibility of another human being I think it can be um a relief you know to be able to put some of that energy somewhere else yeah that's a really nice way of putting it because I was thinking I remember reading a really long time ago a quote from Gwyneth Paltrow where she said whatever age you become famous part of you kind of stays that age it's actually really hard to grow up past that and you're kind of a lot of your life you're infantilised in terms of people making plans for you. Or, you, know, you could basically turn on your back and just say, 
you know, push me in the right direction if you wanted to, you know. 100%. So do you think that having a baby really sort of, yeah, changed the shift of, as you say, responsibility? Yeah, it did. You know, it just took the focus away. And I think too much focus on yourself, you know, it can be unhealthy. You know, we all can think too much at times. I think especially as women, you know, we put ourselves under a lot of pressure. But then again, excuse me, as a mum, you know, there's even more pressure. But personally for me, it was... um, yeah, it was it was magical and it, it just it helped me, I suppose, you know, realise there was more to life than my work because that pretty much had been everything up until that point. Yeah, were you raised by a working mum as well? Yeah, so I have, I, I think I've got a pretty strong work ethic. Growing up in the north, my mum's a singer as well and my stepdad's a bass player and they performed all weekend but then my mum had a job in the week as well. You know, she did whatever she had to do to make ends meet, put food on the table. So I just grew up in that environment knowing you have to work hard to get by and um, that's, yeah, it stood me in good stead but then sometimes I think it can be a bit of a curse as well because um, you do feel guilty when you're not working hard and you can, you know, it's quite easy to get to burnout. Yeah, and was there a time when it was just you and your mum? Because I think you have a similar thing to me where I'm the only child from my mum and dad's marriage and Mm. then they separated when I was four. I think it was the same sort of time for you, is that right? It's really similar, yeah. Um, Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And um, I I think I had a short time with my mum, being so little. It's hard to remember, isn't it? But um, yeah, she got together with my stepdad quite quickly after that. And they're still together now and my dad's remarried. And yeah, so it's... yeah, Your childhood's a funny thing, isn't it? Because when you look back on it, with all the knowledge you have as an adult, you go, oh, this and this and this. But as a kid, you just... That's all you know. Absolutely. So it's your normal, isn't it? Definitely. I mean, weirdly, one of the first podcast interviews I did was with my mum. And actually, it was probably one of the hardest I did as well, because you don't often have those sort of chats with your parents. And it was really, this is going to sound really silly, actually, but it was the first time I'd really thought of the bit between when I was like four and seven as being my mum was a single mum. As you said, I didn't really have any context for it. It's just the bit that happened next before my stepdad arrived on the scene. And like you, my mum and dad, stepdad had a really happy, long marriage. So that you know, I always felt like I got two happy endings out of one unhappy marriage with my mum and dad. They both remarried before I was 10. Mm. Um, but yeah, it really shifted the, the perspective and thought, oh yes, it was just the two of us for like three years. And actually, my mum said she thinks it became like the bedrock of our relationship and possibly it'd be the same for you and your daughter yeah. at that time when it was just the two of you. It's like, it's really significant. Yeah. It doesn't always need to be articulated between you, but it's just it's just what happened. Yeah, I think we are super close. Obviously, she's coming to that age where, you know, she doesn't want to tell me everything, but that's fine. Mm. But um, yeah, I do feel like there's, yeah, there's an incredible bond there. Yeah, and mm. I think I remember reading that you'd said that you felt like she gave you a lot of strength as well to just to sort of move out of the relationship you were in and with her dad and start the next bit. Um, do you still sort of remember it that way that she gave you that? Yeah, strength? absolutely. And in so many ways, because I realised, you know, when you have a child and, you know, I know everybody has different experiences, but, you know, I was lucky in that I just looked at her and I just thought, wow, you know, this is the most important thing I've ever had happen to me in my life. And I have to be the most, you know, the best I can be to to show her how to be, you know, because you, although very, I, you know, I credit her with being my teacher, but you are their teacher as well, you know? Mm. So I just thought, wow, I, I can't, because I think I've, I'm quite, I'm a bit of a people pleaser and I I don't like confrontation. So often I won't, I won't speak up for myself. You know, I've lived mm. a lot of my younger life like that. And I just looked at her and I just thought, you know, because it hasn't always served me well. You know, people have treated me badly at mm. times. And I looked at her and I just thought, I don't want that for you. And that gave me the strength to go, do you know what? It's time for me to start standing up for myself, to show her that you should not be treated in the way that certain people were treating me, you know? And then, which is so funny, is she's so different to me. She's super headstrong. She's super opinionated, not allowed to say it. So, um, you know, maybe some of that is to do with me leading the way, but I think her own personality is so fully formed and she's a, she's a toughie, definitely. Oh, that's brilliant. And I think, mm. I mean, I really, I'm, I'm the same as you about that people-pleasing aspect. And I remember... You know, we're now both in our 40s and I remember thinking, right, my 40s has got to be the decade where that just stops. Why, why am I still trapped in that thing of 
always wanting to say what I think the other person wants me. It doesn't, it's actually really unhelpful all round as well because you end up sometimes trying to later on get out of something where you're like, oh, I've taken it too far now and I've just got to keep going with this because I could, didn't say no in the first place. So I'm I desperate know. to lose all that, desperate. I know, yeah. I, my, my brother always says to me, you know, you are, you're just too soft and... Yeah, I mean, my nan said that to me as well before she passed away. You're too soft, you girl, she said to me. And um, and it's so, so true. And, and you know, both of both my brother and my nan, you know, very influential people in my lives, their, their words ring in my ears sometimes when I think, come on, you know, say no, just yeah. say no. <laughs> well, it's funny because I was thinking about, about that in the context of, I know you've been, you did a tour with Sink the Pink. Mm. So with these uh, drag queens and you ended up doing amazing stuff like going to Brazil to go do Pride. What yeah. was that like? Oh my goodness. Well, I mean, I, you know Sink the Pink really yeah, yeah. well as well, don't you? You know, amazing people. I absolutely adore them. And I was, I think three days after the last Spice Girls show at Wembley, I was in a rehearsal room, still a bit hungover, to be honest. <laughs> and I was getting ready to jump on a plane and fly over to Sao Paulo. I was absolutely exhausted but the experiences with the drag queens and just being around them just you know gave me that energy that I needed to get through it all and we did a bit of a world tour with the show mm. being in Sao Paulo was incredible because it's a difficult time over there they have a very yeah. right-wing um, president at the moment um you know with some quite interesting ideas about the community and as an international artist I just felt like everybody was so grateful that we were there yeah and we were on a float and we were traveling down Palista Avenue which is just this it's, it's enormous road that runs through Sao Paulo if anyone doesn't know the city it's just this crazy metropolis literally as far as the eye can see and there was three million people on the street that day. Wow. So you just people, a sea of people. And, you know, and you know, those Brazilians, they know how to party. Yeah. So the sights and the sounds and the smells and everything, it was just insane. Wow, I would love to see that. I mean, just even just to be on the street, what an amazing experience. That's really, I mean, that's just vitality right there. But also, as you say, also an act of defiance you know the, the the landscape that that is it's not just all about the party it's about actually saying yeah it's about acceptance and, mm -hmm. and love and the celebration of that so that's really really powerful and it's funny because I think with going back to the, the drag queens I feel like that is now a really significant aspect of um of teenage influence um I recently went back to my old school which is a girls' school, um, to go and give a, a little talk. And, um, and typically I got there and it was literally like I couldn't work out the teachers and the, the you know, sixth form girls. Like everybody just, it was really one of those things like, okay, I've definitely crossed over into that category of my life. But I'd written this little speech, like the things I thought would be, I was imagining if I was sat there in the auditorium, like what would be a useful thing to hear? And I quoted a bit of RuPaul and everybody, all the girls cheered. And I thought, you know, the whole, there's a massive deal about how um, that drag queen culture has really provided a lot for teenage girls. And I was sort of thinking about why that is. And I was thinking because so much of it is about acceptance. And, you know, you can, all the drag queens, when you watch the, something like RuPaul's program, they've all got these amazing stories. And it starts off with them looking Teflon coated and immaculate and fierce and impenetrable and awesome. But then behind it, there's always fragility and vulnerability mm. and, you know, different levels of challenge that they've faced to get to that point. And I think for particularly teenage girls, that really resonates because basically that vulnerability and that fragility is how you're feeling for like most of the time, isn't it? Yeah. And so to have that sort of alter ego of fierceness. But I think I wondered if for you and I and particularly other female performers um, of, in our sort of peer group, that kind of came later and we got the benefit of that later. Like I feel like it kind of from my mid-30s, I really started to sort of take that on board. Does, I mean, does any of what I say make sense to you? Like yeah, that? it does in a way, but I think because my situation's a bit strange, you know, with the Spice Girls, I kind of had that put in a sisterhood, mm. you know, so I went through my 20s with the girls, kind of having this bravado and this strength and empowerment. Mm. But then as an individual, I was really 
crumbling inside. Oh, you know, I was very like that was almost they they represented that same thing. Yeah, and I think because as a band, that's what we represented. Mm. You know, that was you know what we shouted about girl power you know it was about individuality but having that unity is what gave us the strength so I think when I went off to become a solo artist that was when I kind of I don't know I think I was just so excited to express myself as an individual Mm. you know my time with the Spice Girls has been and still is you know when we get together incredible and nothing can surpass that in people's minds you know and also the experiences as a solo artist I know I'm never going to play Wembley Stadium you know I'm never going to do a lot of the things that the Spice Girls are, are able to do but you know there's much more to that being an artist there's a lot much more to a lot much more that's great English being an <laughs> there's artist so much more <laughs> there's yeah. so much more um than those things so going out there first album and I think it was yeah it was at that point when I suppose the, you know, the bravado of youth and that kind of strength and resilience I'd build up within the band started to fall away. And it took me a long time to really feel that. And I'd say actually this album, which I released last year, um, is a bit of a new chapter. Mm. I walked away from, well, virtually everybody that I worked with, the management I'd worked with for many, many years. I've worked with lots of new songwriters and producers and I have a new band, which for me was petrifying Mm. because I hate change. But in doing it, it gave me this strength and that felt like the new chapter. And I was, I turned 47 this year. (laughs) And... um, yeah wow why has it taken me that long to get to this point and of course you know I still have my insecurities but I think now I finally got to the point where I do put myself first you know and it's important to do because if you don't then you can't expect to be everything everybody else needs from you you know it can't be about other people you need to make sure you're good first Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, well, I, I don't think it's any surprise it takes a long time because I think particularly that people-pleasing characteristic is a really hard one to untangle because you know, you still want to be a kind, decent person. Yeah. So it's just about the, the nuance of where those boundaries are incredibly bespoke. And actually, t- it does take a really long time. And I remember not that long ago, I was, there was some decision that was being made. And um, I was talking over with Richard and he said, well, what do you want? What What do you want to do? And I actually got really emotional because I realised I didn't really know. I yeah. couldn't really work it out anymore. I was trying to always work out what was best for sort of everybody. Mm. And I couldn't. I was like, I don't really, I don't actually know what it is I do want in this. I think sometimes you don't really stop to think about that. Um, and I suppose particularly when you've been part of that, the, the band, and I mean, I suppose, do you think in a weird way it kind of gave a sort of, not delayed adolescence exactly, but maybe some of the aspects of things you might have dealt with in your, a little bit sooner, it kind of gave a bit of a, a, a put a pause on that because yeah. it just but, but caught my, up in it. But I think the way my life has turned out it it has done that completely and I think the last year being in the pandemic has made me realize that my work and my lifestyle Mm. I run away from things all the time I never deal with anything because I've got a trip so I'll deal with it after that oh I've I've got a really big you know shoot coming up and it's all a focus on that so I'll deal with it after that Mm. there's always an excuse to not really deal with stuff definitely and I think being I've never been in one place in my adult life I've never been in one place for this long and 
I thought it's actually first, really extraordinary when you think about it. it it's it's crazy, isn't it? And yeah, and I kind of the novelty at first, I loved it, and I got into that routine, and you know, having having a weekend because you know, like being a performer, it's antisocial. You know, yeah. we usually work at weekends, but I've enjoyed having weekends and letting my hair down and doing some lovely cooking and having some nice wine, and and it comes to Friday, and I'm all excited. I'm like, wow, this is like my teenage years. You know, this was what life was like before work. And, um, but now I've got, you know, that was all fun for a time. And now I'm like, I need to run away. <laughs> well, you also need the other half of what you normally do as well. Yeah. And I, I think because it's made us all question everything, hasn't it? And I did question, like, why do I do this? And do I really enjoy it? And it's like, well, of course you enjoy it, but I don't enjoy all aspects of it. Mm. And I've kind of come all the way back round to go, you know what, I, I've always thought the idea of being at home, having a routine, you know, having a, a regular social life, I thought that was, I really missed that and I really wanted that. And now I'm like, I actually really miss my work. Yeah, well, it's quite a nice feeling to miss it because before that is you can feel a bit beholden to it, can't you? Just yeah. fill the diary, say yes yeah. to everything, get myself out there. And, and structure your life around your work. And it's like, no, 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 I want to structure my work around my life Yeah. now as much as I can. And I suppose, so chronologically speaking, the, the big cull with the management, you know, with lots of people working with new management and all mm. of that, that, did that come sort of just before, so while you're making this new album? It was actually, oh, my timing was perfect. It, <laughs> I released an album in... Oh gosh, I'm testing myself now. I'd released an album a few years before and I decided to do that just as I released that album. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> yeah, so that was interesting. Um, but you know... But for you, that must have been taken a lot, actually. Did you have to have all those conversations yourself? Um... I, I think I, I delegated some of the conversations. Yeah, I definitely would. I hate that kind of thing. <laughs> I hate conversation. <laughs> yeah, I really do too. But, um, but, you know, you can never time these things. It no. was just something that happened. There was a catalyst and it all unfolded and, and that was the way it was. And things going on for much longer than you really think, feeling yeah, great about things and as I, well. I think, you know, in hindsight, I wish I'd done it sooner. Um, but, you know, things work out in the way they're meant to. I do believe that. I'm very impressed, though, because I think that's a really big deal to actually be able to move things forward like that. I, I've definitely been guilty of keeping things going far, far longer than I should just because the idea of actually having to have that conversation is just too horrible. But you know what I find? I find that something happens and mm. it just, you know, one of the hardest things I ever did was leaving my little girl's dad, mm. you know, and, and it was on my mind for a while and, you know, it's a huge life decision and this whole life you have planned out, you know, yeah. your whole future, it's... It's terrifying and, um, yeah, it just got to this point one day. I was out running, actually, which is a, a place I find quite good for making those big life decisions. Um, yeah, it just, it just struck me, I have to do this now. Yeah. And I never looked back. Um, and I think when you have no regrets and you don't look back, you realise, yeah, it was the right thing to do. But it takes you as long as it takes you to get to that point. Definitely. Yeah. Do, do you think... You're one of those people, because I know I can be a bit like this, where I'll sort of take something for a long time and then there'll be one thing and I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm done. and it's almost like the shutters have come down yeah. a bit. Yeah. I'm like, I'm done. I'm yeah. actually done. And yeah. as soon but as I've made that decision, it's For over. those moments, because that's what gives you the strength. Yeah. You know, because they're kind of unsure. Because, yeah. they, you know, these big, big decisions, they're hard to make and they they're are. hard to carry through as well. Yeah, and it's all the process. And you kind of yeah. almost need to know you've done all that to know that you to get to that bit exactly. in the first place. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, I... To me, the, the, one of the hardest emotions to live with would be regret. And I've never had that, maybe because you do kind of let it do its full cycle and then move on. Yeah. Um, well, you talked about, about running there, and I know, obviously, you've had a big relationship with exercise. Is that something that still played a part when you were having a baby and all throughout the time that you'd, you know, a new mum? Um, yeah, I, I didn't know what to expect, um, you know, my, my first and only child. Um, I, one of the things I'm quite proud of, being sporty, I was on the treadmill, only walking uphill on my due date. Were you? That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, what gradient? <laughs> yeah. I, um, I think I just had this thing, which was really nice, actually, because obviously when I became pregnant, I because I've been so harsh on my body, you know, mm. throughout my life, I've danced and gymnastics and I've just exercised and 
done things to my body which you probably shouldn't do and I'm paying for now but then when I became pregnant I realized it was really important you know to to look after myself physically and so that was when I started having more of a focus on what was happening in my life Mm. when I went to the gym so like I was preparing for labor that was kind of the focus so it was loads of stuff like you know just like more strengthening work and taking care of the back and posterior chain and all of those things and um yeah my daughter was super late hence being on a treadmill (laughs) on my due date um but I think that really stood me in good stead for the post-pregnancy because I had actually had a really difficult birth like so many of us Mm. and I ended up having an emergency c-section so I tried to go back to the gym I think when they say you can maybe six weeks or something something and I was like forget about it and it took me a while to get back into the gym um and I needed that time I just needed to be at home with her and you're so tired aren't you so exhausted uh, physically emotionally in every way and um when I went back to the gym it, it really it was it came back quite quickly um, and I was started working when she was six, seven months old. I went into the theatre at that point. So I think because I'd been fit and taken care of business before, mm. you know, even though I just, you know, I, I think I put on all the weight that which is, they say, is like the, the, the highest end of the scale of health. Um, you know, I ate all the cakes. I had the best time also like breastfeeding and everything. Um and then, yeah, when it came back to working and, and thinking about those things, it, it wasn't too much of a challenge. So you went back to work for, you went to the West End when she was only really little. Yeah. And because I, I hadn't... I was doing Blood Brothers, was it? I went into Blood Brothers, yeah. And I didn't put any pressure on myself because I didn't know how I was going to feel, whether I was going to go back to work, mm. when I was going to go back to work. And just an opportunity came up and I started getting a bit of itchy feet and mm. feeling like mm, I could do something. And West End just seemed perfect. We live in London. I'd be out in the evenings, home most of the day. So it just felt like the the good a good first thing to do because you know working in music so much of my work is traveling and I didn't want to be away from her but is that so was that the first West End thing you'd done at that point yeah that's quite a big thing to take on isn't it it's quite a big I mean I know it's got its advantages in terms of its predictable nature and being in the same city but it's I mean I've always thought of West End as like a quite a big commitment it's like the hardest thing Mm. I've ever done and I never expected that I think when you've taught you know that's grueling isn't it it's so hard you know sometimes you're sleeping on a bus well not with the Spice Girls but as a solo artist you know you're sleeping on a bus (laughs) you know you're playing gigs you're showering at the venue and you're you're just knackered aren't Mm. you you're so so tired nothing like being a mum though to be honest but um (laughs) when I went into the theatre I was just so excited to get this opportunity. Love Blood Brothers, Mm. obviously, you know, Willie Russell, great playwright, great songs. And it's such a good role, Mrs. Johnston. I'd actually done it at school. So I was excited to be part of the production. And, you know, I, I really focused on it and I did all the work I did loads of stuff with the director and I was petrified and I have to say standing in the wings on opening night I've never been so scared oh, I literally I had to yeah, suck my cheeks to stop myself from vomiting because you know when the spit starts going oh. <laughs> yeah and I don't even remember that first show it was one of those experiences when it finishes you're like what just happened yeah yeah it's, yeah, there's that. Sometimes there's that fear with one thing in particular, where it's like, there's you just have that fear. I cannot get out of this. I've just got to do it. It's but like, do you no have this too? Thing. Yeah, when you go, so often I'll be on the side of stage and I think, why do I do this? Yeah, why do, why I, do, I, do I do this, this to myself? <laughs> yeah, I have that frequently. And in fact, weirdly, if some, if the only reason to say no to something is that it scares me, I'm more likely to say yes. I know, I'm the same, yeah. I'm the same. And it, it's so ridiculous, you know, we, we were talking, weren't we, earlier about the pandemic and how it's given us a little bit of anxiety going mm. back to the things we were so used to doing before. And, you know, when I just think about the things I've done, you know, I've played Wembley Stadium with the Spice Girls, you know, I've, I've played the lead in a West End show. And then, then I'm getting nervous about going down to Sainsbury's. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> But I think it is an amazing thing to do the Western thing, and it must have taught you a lot. But did you, when you look back to that, do you feel like it was quite tricky to do that with that with a young baby, or was it actually just something that really helped you get back into your own head a little bit? Um, it was. I think it was good in the respect for me because I did want to get back to work. I was so close to home with her. You know, her dad was around at the time, and oh, she was teething with her molars at that point. 
So he had a lot of sleepless nights, <laughs> which he never <laughs> lets me or her forget about. <clears throat> but um, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard looking back. All I remember is realising how hard the West End is and just the respect I have for people that work in the theatre mm. because, you know, a lot of the shows and a lot of the, the parts in the shows don't pay that well and a lot of people can't even afford to live that close to London yeah. because, you know, and, and it's crazy. It's, yeah, it's it makes me really sad because these p- people, they dedicate their lives yeah. to working in the West End, um, you know, but they love it. And, you know, there's that thing, isn't it? We talk about why do we do it? Why do we do this to ourselves? It's because it's so incredible once you're out there on the stage, you know, performing for people. It is. It really is. And um, I mean, you've mentioned the Spice Girls a few times. What exactly is that? No, <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> um, so, but since you've had your daughter, the Spice Girls have had, they had one tour, is that right? The tour that you did in 2019? Yeah. So that was the first time she got to see that. And presumably as well, the other girls had their kids as well come along sometimes. Yeah. It's amazing because we, we toured in 2007 and 2008 and I had Scarlett in 2009. So just missed that one. But this one, she was a perfect age because she was 10, I think, when we toured. Um and yes, all the kids are there and they're very engages. And for them, you know, to see us in that environment as well, because a lot of the kids were really young mm. when we when we toured last time. So they had the best time and having them there and coming on stage and learning the routines. And it was, um, yeah, it was really magical. And she says to me, you know, even now, oh, mum, I miss that. Can't you do it again? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, go on. go on. You go and ring the others and tell them we've got to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's delegating again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, did she speak I suppose it's hard for her to really have much of a thing to compare it to but seeing you in that environment and then obviously she'd seen other things you've done solo things but there's a big thing of you know everybody sort of celebrating in the affection and all that reflection as well on what the Spice Girls had meant to them did she really have much of a idea of all that or it was completely overwhelming, I think, for her. Because she, she's grown up around what I do. You yeah. know, like, I know your kids have as well. And she's so blasé. I've, I've been doing shows and the crowd are loving it and I've turned around and she's, like, reading a book. <laughs> <laughs> or I've been doing this acoustic thing and I, like perform the first song and she's there watching and the turn around and by the second song, she's gone. <laughs> um, so, yeah, she's super blasé. But when it came to you know, playing stadiums and the reception we got was out of this world. We never expected the shows to go as well as they did. And it was electric every night. I mean, I get goosebumps even thinking about it. And to see how it had affected a generation of young people, you know, it was, it was incredible. And yeah, I suppose to see your mum on those big screens at the side. And I think the first few shows, she was really overwhelmed and I was really cool for a few weeks and then you know normal business resumed but um yeah I'm so pleased she was able to see that and I hope she gets to see it again because now it's all about TikTok you know she wants to take all her mates and put it all over Instagram so um yeah so hopefully she can do that if we do it again I think it's really funny what what kids do get excited about when their parents perform and the bits they really don't and sometimes when we were doing when the lockdown was happening we were doing um these little discos on Instagram from my account here. And my 12-year-old, um, he's now 12, he's then 11, was really obsessed as well, like TikTok, and wants to build his follow account, and everything's like and subscribe and all this stuff. And um, But even that, I'd say to him, oh, we're going we're gonna to do a, a, a live stream disco, do you want to come? And he'd always be like, nah, but can you make me some tea after you finish? <laughs> so, like, just, you know, if, if it wasn't exactly in the context that made sense to him, mm. it was just like... Pfft. It's yeah. not really very interesting to me. Um, um, so I, I guess doing that tour in 2019 must have also helped you sort of, I mean, I might be wrong putting it this way, but it sounds like you had to sort of slightly come to terms, I guess, a little bit with the just intensity of, the, I mean, obviously there were extreme highs with being in that group, but also, as you said before, the kind of outward projection and then how you sometimes feel on the inside. That's a lot to a lot to process. I think going into it, I was... I was a little bit reluctant. You know, there was years I said I wouldn't do it again. Mm. And there were a lot of emotions and things that I, you know, that I revisit when I get into that environment. But I feel like this tour was so magical and, you know, it just felt so right. And I I felt it was the first time I fully 
enjoyed it and appreciated it and was relaxed with it and the relationship between the girls you know we had a wonderful time and I think more than anything once we got on that stage because we were petrified you know can you imagine it's many many years later you know we're a lot older all eyes are on us and it was a big show it was a big production there was a lot to live up to but as soon as we used to come up on a um a a lift at the front of the stage and that opening night in Dublin at Croke Park you know first night are we going to remember everything you know are we going to mess it up you know we were like freaking out backstage and as soon as we come up and that like wave of love hit us the nerves went away and I've never felt like that on stage and I think the difference for me being a solo artist to being with the girls is that we are a team you know and we've got each other's backs so you kind of like we were holding hands as we were going up and it was the most amazing thing I've ever experienced and from that moment on every single show I just enjoyed every second and I think you know in the past I've maybe beaten myself up if I've sang words wrong or sang a bit flat or done done the wrong choreography but in this one it was just joyous and I just think that's what the Spice Girls is about so it it taught me to really just relax and enjoy more than I had ever done before. That sounds absolutely amazing and what a lovely thing and I think that the key word there's probably being being relaxed because actually the hard work is done the legacy is safe that's all protected the memories are all protected the emotion people feel associated so now it's just a bit of enjoying it well I think we felt it was like a celebration yeah exactly you know that's what we wanted it to be and it totally turned out to be that and I saw in your in the videos for the the album you did last year you'd put you know there's lots some of them very obvious reflections of of that time you know one video you're actually looking at images of yourself all throughout that stage but But even in the one you did with Nadia Rose, which I love, that's my, my favourite. And I love Nadia Rose as yeah, well. she's great. You had all the little... Spice oh, the little wobbly heads. With, yeah, wobbly heads <laughs> in the car. I know. So the great thing that happened when we did the tour in 2019, it was the first time I realised I'm not separate people. You know, all of these aspects of me are me, you know. So I am a mum and I am a solo artist and I am Sporty Spice. Because I was like, how am I going to get up and sing Wannabe in my 40s? How can I, do, how can I be Sporty Spice kicking and jumping around like a nutter? But as soon as I was in the environment with the girls, it was so natural to me. I realised it's within me. It's part of who I am. So rather than trying to become these things, just realise I'm all of these things. And that's something I wanted to reflect in the album and in the imagery of the album as well. So it was just that real celebration of, you know, of the whole self and accepting all aspects of yourself, the good and some not so good. I'm not going to say bad. I'm just going to say not so good. (laughs) Fair enough. I think that's lovely. And I think some people actually never really feel they get to that point so we you shouldn't beat yourself up for when you're saying you know how is it taking me till now because I think I think that's a really magnificent thing to achieve in anybody's life yeah it is it's amazing isn't it and I you know I think as women and I've said this many many times we are so hard on ourselves you know and we our internal dialogue we speak to ourselves in a way we would never dare speak to another human being why do we do that you know we should be the person we take care of the most mm. and um it's it's a really tough discipline but if you can get into that habit it's you know it's life-changing do you think having the terms that you did in the band was sort of like had equal points of good and, and not and not so good um <laughs> i mean as it as it as it goes i think when you said you know am i still sporty spice i think i think it's being sporty is something you can probably hold on to like a lot easier in today's life than some of the other names you might have called. so at least you know sporty is always like a good thing it's about like health and well-being isn't it but i did think i was thinking a bit about that time in the sort of early noughties where there was a sort of association not you know it preceded um the spice calls you know even with someone like madonna you know i know we both think is brilliant but she was always very very strong and always looked physically very strong and it was always seen as a sort of slightly um masculine trait you know it wasn't necessarily seen as a celebration of feminine strength i think i think things have shifted quite a lot now definitely because now you know we'd see women in sportswear you know as as everyday outfits and being Mm. strong in yourself and Mm -hmm. wanting to have muscle definition and look, look strong and capable like that is now every young girl 
sees that as something to aim yeah. for. Yeah, I think it's really interesting how that whole like body image and what, you know, is aspirational has changed. Because mm. like when back in the 90s, you know, it was the time of heroin chic. Yeah, And, it, you it, know, yeah. everyone there was all... What a terrible thing we it, think back. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, it's crazy, isn't it? When You know, when you're a kid and you look back over decades and there's certain aspects of culture in those decades that you can't believe it was like that. Yeah. But heroin now when you look chic. back to the 90s, oh. yeah, there was that. And, and I look back over... Over, um, old, you know, not a lot because it's quite soul destroying. But sometimes when you look back over old articles, you know, for whatever reason, you know, something comes up on Twitter and you happen to see it, and some of the language that was used in the tabloid media in the nineties, they would never do that now. I totally agree. Yeah. So it's wonderful that there's been these positive changes, but um, yeah, it's crazy. Like within our lifetime, something that now we feel. I mean, in many you know different aspects um there are many things are like wow i can't believe that that was deemed acceptable Absolutely. at that time um but yeah i've loved seeing the change um you know people really embracing all body shapes yeah. and obviously you know i've always been quite sporty quite muscular um for that to be um something which is celebrated now is really good to see yeah and actually when you're talking that made me think about the recent documentary on Britney Spears, who obviously would have been, a, a, you know, around at the same time as the Spice Girls, but she was on her own with that. I mean, looking back, that's actually... I mean, you've talked a lot about when with, with the girls, how they're actually having... Being part of that team and that family, mm-hmm. it does kind of give you a place to stand within, within that. But yeah. if you're on your own in that, it must have yeah. been... In that time when that language was used. I mean, looking back, yeah, it's... It, I, I did actually find an old box of articles the other day. I mean, obviously, nothing like anything you've experienced, but... My my early band, I signed my first deal in 97. So all the first stuff, I was just quite horrified by what I was reading and how things, the questions I was being asked. Yeah. Because no wonder I built up quite a wall around myself. It was really scary. I felt quite interrogated. And um, I think because women were trying to sort of, it was the time of a girly show and stuff like this. So you mm-hmm. were, they were trying to recalibrate um how to be an independent woman, but also you're supposed to be able to like really keep up with the lads and mm. banter and mm-hmm. they almost wanted to sort of knock knock you a bit, like, can you take this? Yeah. Can you take that? Yeah, what about yeah. if I push you in this direction? Mm. It was quite an intense time. I do, I think you're right. I don't think any of that stuff would happen now, which is no. really good. And especially good at a time when your daughter's about to head into the teenage bit as well. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. It goes slow. I remember with my father, he's just 17 now, my oldest, and the first, when he turned 13, I remember thinking, oh, it's great because you're basically the same as you were last week. But then I think between 14 and 16 is the bit where I had to work really hard on that relationship. And... I wouldn't say I'm an expert. I've got to do this four more times, remember, with the next <laughs> so boys coming So you will be up. by the end. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I always feel like I'm getting experience but not expertise. <laughs> it's not quite the same thing. Um, but I do think that a good bit of advice is probably just to persevere with, I'm sure you do it anyway, but just keeping them coming, you know, keep them having, you know, being there at meal times, keeping the conversation open and... Uh, Golly, it is hard. They don't want to be speaking to you about stuff, but they really need you. I feel in a way they need you more than ever in the teenage bit. Yeah, I think someone said to me recently, it's about them knowing you're there. Yeah. You know, maybe rather than being in their face, yeah. just know that you are there to support them. Because I think, you know, you would hope as a parent, you've stood them in good stead, yeah. you know, and then you have to trust them to, yeah. to, to go out there and, and you know what, they're going to make mistakes, we all did. Absolutely. And, um, you know, fingers crossed. Well, actually, right. I think you're right when you say that they, you know, they're, they're smart about things and they're the expert stuff, because actually one really good tip I I took on from someone else, wow, that is a noisy motorbike, <laughs> um, when you said about trusting them, I've done that sometimes with when Sonny and my eldest first started going on the internet a lot, I was quite freaked out because the internet feels a bit wild west. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when I found myself in a situation where I thought, I don't, you know, I'm worried, I'd go to him and I'd say, these are all the things that I'm worried about, but I know you know more than me about this. So can you just tell me why I don't need to worry about those things anymore and just reassure me? And actually by letting him lead me, it really helped both of us. Yeah. Rather than going in and going, 
I just want to kind of smash everything up that's electric and take all your technology away. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's such a good way of, of looking at it, actually. Because, I mean, I think they feel frustrated with us as well, don't yeah. they? Because we don't understand. Like, because I don't know every single YouTuber or TikToker's name. Mm. I'm a fool. Um, so, yeah, getting them to lead, that's a really good Although it's way. probably quite nice we don't know. They'd be unnerved if we knew all the TikToker people. How horrible would that be? Oh, I have you checked have to, out the latest one? I have to hear about all their lives, though, which is <laughs> excruciatingly boring. <laughs> I know, there's so much of that though that goes on I mean I've got a, a couple of really chatty kids and it's a bit like having a radio on okay. and mummy do you know and we'll be talking about this thing and I, I just hope I'm giving the right responses at the right point I mean there's a lot of information there yeah, there's I can't a, there's promise a phase, it's all going in there's a phase with the children definitely where you just switch off zone out definitely <laughs> definitely I've done loads of that uh. my word <laughs> Uh, do you think? Did you always want to be a mum? Actually, I haven't asked. Yeah, you I did. Yeah. I think because I was so driven in my career, um, I didn't think too much about it. But I knew I wanted to be a mum, and and I really wanted a daughter. Oh. And when Scarlett was born, I, I was so like, <clears throat> it was such a crazy labour. And I was so convinced, I was convinced I was having a boy. Because I think I was like mentally preparing myself. And then so when she, she came out, I heard, it's a boy. And I thought, ah, oh, it's a boy. And then she was a girl. I was like, huh? <laughs> um, so I think I just had way too many drugs. I was going to say, something. did someone just get it wrong? Or <laughs> No one said it's a boy. That's just, I just convinced myself. Um, but yeah, but I got my little girl and I haven't had, and I, I you know, I don't think I'm bell now, but I don't think I'll have any more children. So I'm happy I got my girl. Why do you think it was important to you that you wanted a girl? Is that because of how you felt with your mum, do you think? I think so. I think because of that relationship with my mum. Yeah, is so strong and it's so important to me. And yeah, do you know what? It's funny because I've got, so many brothers I have a half sister I have three half brothers and two step brothers so I was always around lots of boys mm. and uh, I just wanted my my little girl yeah. so when you had your first sibling half sibling how old were you then I think I was seven or oh, eight. Cool. really eight. similar to me yeah. I had my first when I was eight my little brother Jackson and I was obsessed with him I used to look after him all the time yeah. is that on your mum's side or your dad's side that's my mum's okay yeah, same. yeah and then I've got younger brothers my dad married a bit later so my my youngest brother I don't think he's 30 yet, so... And now you've yeah. also got, I suppose, a sort of slight step-parent role as well with your boyfriend's kids as yeah, well. Yeah, which is really hard. I found that really, really tricky. I didn't think that would be as hard as it is, actually. And it, I have step-parents, um, mm. you know, so I think you do have your your own, you know, memories of, of having a step-parent as well. So it's just trying to navigate who you are as a step-parent, I think. Yeah, that is really hard, actually, because it's not, it's not a parent role. Well, it... It's parental, but you're yes. not trying to replace a 100%. parent. hundred so percent. And that's, that's quite I, a hard place to put yeah, yourself, Yeah, that's actually. what I found the most important thing. Cause, and also, because you don't want to tread on toes. It's no. hard. How old were they then? Is that, is that two, did you say? Yeah, boys Yeah. So they're 12 and 15 now. Um, we've been together for seven years. So, um, yeah, you do the math. <laughs> <laughs> so did you say 12 and 15? So they're yeah. eight and five? Yeah, that? yeah. Oh, yeah, that is tricky. It's funny, I didn't really think about it like that, actually, how you've got to sort of position yourself in someone who can be responsible and still set boundaries, but not, but also respect what already exists. Yeah. But then maybe having step-parents kind of helps navigate that a bit because you know what you liked and what you didn't like from your yeah, own step-parents. Yeah, I, I think it gives you a little bit of... Um, what's the word? It gives you some... Oh, I can't think what the word is. You know, if you're having a dispute with the kid, it's quite good you can chuck at them. Look, I've got a stepmom. I know what it's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Common you know, ground. Yeah. So that's yeah. quite good. But the other thing that I've had to navigate is a bit of guilt, actually, because I think being the child or the stepchild of somebody in the public eye can sometimes be a burden. Yeah. So that's... I suppose a good way to approach it is probably just taking things really slowly, actually. Yeah. Not trying to rush into it. Yeah, I didn't quick meet my bond. boyfriend's kids until we'd been together for a year. Oh, really? Mm. God, that first meeting must have been quite a oh, thing. I was petrified. Yeah. And my friend said to me, they're just kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it really matters what they think. And they're going to be really honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my, my stepmom still reminds me sometimes that I wasn't always... Um, she said I used to come in and if she was watching telly, I'd turn it off and go, that's my telly. I don't actually remember doing that, but <laughs> apparently I did, so sorry about that. Um, and do you think you're the sort of mum you thought you would be? Um, I think we all have these hopes and dreams of being super mum, don't we? Like, you know, baking cookies while, you know, the child's like looking angelic going out the door. And um, But I think... Um, do I, I don't know how I was going to be as a mum. I just wanted to have 
a good relationship, which, you know, which we do, you know, we're close and yeah, I think I pretty much am what I would have expected. Yeah. And it's also, it's quite a two way street because you you can have the idea of who you might be, but you don't know who they are yet. And they're the other half of the relationship. So that was my biggest surprise when I was pregnant. I thought I'm going to have this beautiful baby they're gonna look into my eyes we're gonna have this connection and then she was born and I just thought who's that (laughs) because they just are this new creation you know this new person and they're so formed you know when they you know those personalities are already there aren't they very you know immediately almost I actually felt exactly the same way when I first saw Sunny and I thought oh you're who you are and you just happen to be a baby when we meet yeah it was crazy I could almost get a sense of him it's like it was like I could just had to sort of help him on the way to being who he is now. Yeah, kind of. But you're really more like accessory in some oh, ways. I must tell you this because I, I think you're like this. When my daughter was really little, she said to me once, uh, "Mummy, I chose you," which I loved. And I've asked her as she's got older. You know, you used to say to me, "Mummy, I chose you," and she said, "Yeah, I did." And she would still say that now. How old was she when she was saying that then? First, like, I think she was probably about three or, three or four. four yeah. Wow. But I, I think I asked her, you know, a couple of years ago, and she said I did. God, that's really beautiful. Mm. I wonder where she got that kind That's quite a precocious thing to say as well, isn't it? It's lovely. You know, like, it's almost like she's got a sort of extra so, wisdom. Yeah, and like our children, you know, were meant for us or, you know, it was all a plan. Oh, that's really lovely. Yeah. That's really special. It sounds like your relationship is really lovely and quite a, you know, that's sort of at the, the heart of your of your life, really. Mm. And do you think that was a big help in getting you to come to terms with all the other stuff as well? Yeah, I think it's definitely helped me in that way. You know, I don't want to make it sound like it's a cure-all because, you know, no, there are moments, there are difficult times, but, um, yeah, she's been a catalyst for lots of good stuff. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. I wanted to know if you remembered um, the first time we met. It wasn't, like, a really big meeting, but um, in 2000, when I released grooved it on the same day as Victoria mm-hmm. and then it had gone to number one uh-huh. and then there was a movie premiere first movie premiere <laughs> I'd ever ever been to and I didn't understand that at movie premieres people drive along the red carpet and get dropped off at the main bit of the cinema <laughs> so I'd probably like got the tube there or something and I was trotting along the red carpet on my own uh-huh. and then your car stopped and you put your window down and shook my hand do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. I thought that was really sweet I do and it's so funny because it crossed my mind this morning Isn't when it? I was getting ready to come Aww. and see you yeah but um, yeah, they were funny times, weren't they? All the Spice Girls were releasing solo records and, you know, when your record is out. Um, I think, did we even do a Top of the Pops maybe around the same time? Yeah, or, yeah, I think we could have done that, um, yeah. But I do remember that. Do you? Yeah. It really <laughs> meant a lot to me though, so thank you for that because I found the whole thing really intimidating and uh, I never had anything about, I, I was really trying to keep my feet on the ground and like, not get too pulled into this press thing of having... I, I, even at the time, I thought it was quite sexist that they'd sort of done two women opposing each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't want to get dragged into it. But at the same time, I did find it really intense. And during the week that Groovejet came out, uh, the manager I'd had at the time stopped working with me on... So the song came out on Monday. He stopped working with me on Tuesday. I wasn't signed to the record company that Groovejet came out with. So I was basically, without a rave oh, wow. without a manager... So I felt, I had like, my mouth was filled with ulcers, I remember, that weekend. So thank you for your, oh, your kindness. Oh, well, I'm so pleased. That's <laughs> very that. sweet of you. Oh, you see, you never know what's going on in someone's life, do you? You you know, that was such a big week for you. It was. You know, number one single. You would think, wow, she must be like, you know, walking on air. And you must have felt really vulnerable, actually. And in limbo as well. I think I was just trying to take it all in because I knew it was really extraordinary, that mm. the, the sort of heat around it. And mm-hmm. I thought, I've just got to try and remember this as a very cartoony experience. Mm. Um, and also, the, no matter what, that song was still going to be the biggest success I'd ever been part of. So I just thought, I just want to remember yeah, just that. just enjoy it. Exactly, yeah. just enjoy it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tune out. Funny, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> funny old time. <laughs> Do you remember what the movie was? Because I don't. I do, because it I basically, um, it was a film called Snatch, actually. Uh, oh, the Guy right. Ritchie film. okay. And I I remember thinking it was like, it was quite, um, I don't think, I thought I think I thought it was all right, but it, it was like, the oh, what was the one he'd done? Lockstock and Two Lockstock was yeah. great, That yeah. was really good. And then Snatch, Snatch I thought was not as good. good. Yeah. And I, it was the moment where I thought, I don't think I'm going to go to a lot of premieres because by just by turning up, 
you've already endorsed the film, but you haven't even seen it. It's, it's easy just <laughs> to go to the smart. pictures. You're smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never go to premieres anymore. Obviously, no. there hasn't been any. But when someone goes, oh, would you like to come around to this? And I go, ah, I can't be bothered. <laughs> exactly. It's so much easier just to go to the pictures. <laughs> yeah. And also, they have a better selection. You get like more sweets. And you never get popcorn. popcorn. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know. So there's, yeah, loads of benefits. All oh, the listeners are going, oh, listen to you too. I know. Oh, don't want to go to a premiere. <laughs> Um, the other thing I want did, did you probably do know this about yourself do you know your really good answer in a pub quiz about uh, the only person to have had a number one as a solo artist in a duo in a quartet, quartet and, and a quintet. quintet yeah that's a good one yeah I think th- it, it, there's another one now isn't it a collective Ah. A collective as well. But yeah, I need a trio. I like that I've been corrected on the pub quiz. <laughs> uh, you, you missed one out? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's official, official. Um, Definitely. But yeah, I was part of a, a collective that went to number one. But um, yeah, my trio eludes me. Actually, I was thinking you, me and Claire could do well. Let's get that last number <laughs> there <you> one. There <laughs> <laughs> um, It's been so lovely to talk to you. And I think, I think you've done an amazing... I really felt very... You really get from the album you put out last year a real sense of celebration of where you're at. And I think it's such a wonderful thing to get to that point. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine what it must have been like to be in the Spice Girls. It's not just like being a massive, in a massive band. There's so many things that were connected. And Spice Girls well, was so much part of a cultural t- moment. And I think that's why... I don't know anyone that doesn't have an affectionate feeling towards that, but that doesn't mean it's always an easy thing to be part of. Absolutely. So um, I can't wait for you to perform your stuff live. I think it's going to be incredible with an actual audience. I know. Well, you're going out as well, I saw. Yeah, yeah, so I can't wait. Times. I think I'm going to cry every night. I think yeah. I'll just be stood there like, this is so nice. Yeah, I think it Real will be people. really emotional, yeah, for yeah. the audience and for everyone on stage. So, um, well, thank you for having me. It's Not been lovely having a good old chat. Absolutely. Nice cup of tea. To, got to get to work on our app as well, our uh, Apron Strings yeah, app. Yeah, Apron Strings. We've got the app. Let's yeah. get a number one app and a number one song <laughs> for the trio. <laughs> Sorted. <laughs> Oh, so lovely. How nice is Melanie C? So wise. Uh, very, um, oh, that's a very noisy motorbike. It's okay, Mickey. It was just a motorbike. I'll push you, but the swing is wet. Uh, yeah, she was so, so smart about life. She's, she's learned a lot along the path of, you know, navigating the, the success, the new solo career, the nerves of the West End, motherhood, body image, all those big things. It seems in a really good place, so that's lovely. And who have I got for you next week? I know I don't normally tell you, but I'm very confident about the one I'm going to put out next week. It's um, going to be with the former Danish Prime Minister, Hella Thorning-Schmidt. She is the first Danish woman to be Prime Minister. She was Prime Minister from, I think, or brain, testing my brain. I'm going to say 2012 to 2015. Might have got that totally wrong. I shouldn't, oh, I shouldn't have been so bold as to embark on dates, but it's around that time. And she was completely lovely. Uh, I found her one of those women where you felt like she had such clarity with how she saw the world, such pragmatism and clarity and optimism, I thought. You know, I'll join your gang if you make a gang. <laughs> I think actually all this, the podcast guests would make a good gang. I've got to try and push my two-year-old on a wet swing now. All right, Mickey, you're not going to like it. You're going to get a wet bum. Uh, on that bombshell, uh, remember the jingle. Spin series four. Oh, oh, oh. Spinning plates. See, it's a good one. We're on to something. Mickey, say thank you for coming back. good to have your ears again thank you guys see you next week take care on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.